My name's Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience. Your 20-minute thrill ride for your commute or your workout. Is the rule of law broken? You need to hear these stories. Did our government increase a man's sentence as an example? The FBI and the Department of Justice, they continue to abuse their power. The Rittenhouse prosecutors, it sure looks like they withheld the best video evidence from the defense team. A school district is refusing to tell parents and share with them the details of the critical race training that they're forcing on the teachers. Biden's answer to high gas prices is to blame energy companies and a Chinese tennis store who accused a prominent Chinese official of sexual assault goes missing. Hmm. All that coming up on the Greg Knapp Experience. Let's go. So let's start with this rule of law. Is it broken? Look, the American experiment is partially about the idea that we are not groups of people, and we don't get treated by our government differently depending on what group we are in. And the government cannot decide that they're going to treat one person more harshly than another simply because of politics or an opinion or an agenda or an ideology. That everyone is supposed to be treated equally under the law as an individual. That's a big part because throughout the world before the American experiment, that wasn't so. And in, unfortunately, many, many places, it still isn't so. And maybe it's coming back here. Greg, you're acting crazy. This is like conspiracy talk. No, I mean, let's go through some examples of where we've seen it. I mean, you know all about the whole Russian collusion thing and how the a big part of the government complex conspired. And we've got proof of it now uh, with, with the FISA court and what they did there and the, the colluding and and uh, spying on a on a presidential candidate and really taking this so-called dossier and seeing that it wasn't true and pushing it anyway. I mean, oh my word, the leaving out exculpatory evidence, all kinds of prosecutions on the one hand for this person doing something, not for this person doing the exact same thing based on which party they're a part of. I mean, it's all over the place. So you got to start wondering what's going on. So I'm going to give you the good news first. Kyle Morse reporting. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, is abiding by a court order and suspending enforcement of the Biden COVID-19 vaccine mandate on large private businesses for now. Wow, they actually listened to the court order because if you remember when it first came out, the Biden administration instantly put out a statement, well, we encourage the private businesses to continue pursuing their vaccine mandates, right? I, well, wait, what? You were just told not to. Well, but I mean, we're, we're not saying it's it's the law. We're just saying we can, we're encouraging them to continue. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, you know, it's a... Oh, it's a nice little business you got there. Be a shame if anything happened to it. You know, I mean, nothing like that is going on. So OSHA says the court ordered that OSHA takes no steps to implement and enforce the testing emergency temporary standards until further court order. That's the vaccine mandate. But OSHA remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies. Yeah, this isn't an emergency. 20 months into COVID is not an emergency anymore. Plenty of time. It took you two months to write the the regulations. Obviously not an emergency. There's no federal authorization for it. There's no constitutional authorization for it. The court's absolutely right. I hope they stand strong in this. But the Department of Justice said it will vigorously defend the rules laid out by OSHA. They mean the mandates, the unconstitutional and illegal mandates. Um, OSHA had originally given employers with more than 100 employees a January 4 deadline to comply with the mandate and threatened thousands of dollars in fines 
for defiant businesses. Yeah, as much as $14,000 per violation. They're going to try and shut you down if you have the temerity to say, I'm not going to force my employees to do this, and I'm not going to act as your COVID police. See, Biden knew this was unconstitutional. This is part of what I mean about the rule of law being broken. When the president of the United States knows, he said it before he did this, that he knew he didn't have the power to do this, that he knew it was unconstitutional, then he changed his mind, much like Obama did when many, many times he came out and said, I don't have the authority to just wave a magic wand and make these illegal aliens legal. And then he went out and did it with the so-called Dreamers Act. So they know it's unconstitutional. They do it anyway. So what does that mean about the rule of law? What does it say about the Constitution that they swear an oath to uphold? You know, but this is what they really think. I don't care about the rule of law, the Constitution. We know better. We're the elites. We're morally superior to you. You need to listen to what we tell you to do. And a little pesky thing like the law or the courts aren't going to get in our way. We're going to do what we know is right because we're right. And we're more moral than you. That's what they really believe. That's what they really believe. At least... OSHA's listening. The question is, are the businesses really listening to this? Or they're like, holy crap, I don't know what the government's going to do next anyway. Big government might come after me. I think I'm just going to keep pushing it. The Washington Examiner has another example. You know the guy that was uh, at the January 6th riot at the Capitol, and he was wearing the buffalo hat with horns, and he had body paint on, and he was carrying a spear, and you thought to yourself, self, I think that guy's either really drunk or he may have some mental problems. Mm -hmm, That guy. Well, he's also known as the QAnon shaman. Now, I am not familiar with QAnon. I don't get into conspiracy theories. I don't read all that stuff. But suffice it to say, I'm not a fan. Um, But this guy has now been sentenced to 41 months in prison, plus the time he'd already served. Now, he was arrested just a a few days after January 6th. So he's been in jail already for 11 months. Add on another 41. So we're talking about 52 months. We're talking about four years and four months for what he did. Now, listen, I think crashing into the Capitol, crashing through the police lines, all the stuff that went on there was absolutely wrong. And I think the people who did that should be punished. But when you look at the way some of these people are being punished, it sure looks political, doesn't it? Does it look like the rule of law to you? Does it look like everyone's being treated equally under the law? Four years and four months for what he did? Because they're not giving him time served. They're adding it on to the time served. So what was his offense? Well, he pleaded guilty to a single count of obstruction of an official proceeding. That's it. That's it. I mean, yeah, he broke the law. He should be punished. But it sure looks like something maybe political here. Maybe they're trying to send a message. Maybe they're trying to make an example. And we're not supposed to sentence people in order to make an example. You're supposed to be treated as an individual. And by the way, did you notice it was about a month ago there were a bunch of environmental activists that stormed the in the interior building, the interior department building, they broke through a police line. They stormed into the building. They occupied the building. Anybody there being sentenced to 41 months in prison? Actually, 52 months in prison? No. Huh. I wonder why. Well, during the sentencing, Assistant U.S. Attorney Kimberly Pascal said that the defendant was a primary instigator of the riot, despite the fact he did not assault anyone. Wait, he didn't assault anyone? No, but he was primary. He actually, there was video evidence where he yelled, time's up, mother bleepers. And he left a note on Vice President Mike Pence's desk, which read, justice is coming. None of that's right. None of that's good. 52 months. The defendant's attorney pushed for leniency, saying, prison psychologists found he suffers from a variety of mental illnesses, including 
transient schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety. When you got to do with the buffalo hat on with body paint and spear breaking into the Capitol building, there's probably some mental issues. Yeah, does this look like equal treatment under the law? That's all I'm asking you. Cities burned for a summer. Cops were ordered to watch it. People were committing felony-level vandalism, and nothing happened to them. Now, some of them were arrested. Many of them were released with no bail. Many of them, they had all their charges dropped. Is that equal treatment under the law that America promises? This is what I'm talking about. This is why I'm saying example after example. How about Nicarama? Uh, we talked about this yesterday with the FBI, FBI whistleblower that leaked some memos going around the Department of Justice and FBI where they're saying, yes, we're going to use our counterterrorism unit to look into the issue of these parents at the school board meetings. And we're going to put threat tags on, quote, all investigations and assessments of threats specifically directed against school board administrations, board members, teachers, and staff. Now, I love how Nicarama points out, when you read what the FBI responded to when this story broke, they said this, a tag is merely a statistical tool to track information and for review and reporting. The creation of a threat tag in no way changes the longstanding requirements for opening an investigation. Nor does it represent a shift in how the FBI prioritizes threats. The FBI has used tags to track everything from drug trafficking to human trafficking. And parents complaining at the school board meetings? I mean, are you comparing the parents at the school board meeting to drug trafficking and human trafficking? And by the way, where is the whole explanation of why you would be investigating this at all? Where is the federal crime? Where is the federal level of involvement? Why would the FBI be investigating somebody getting upset at a school board meeting? That is a local police matter, and they never addressed that. They didn't answer. Why is the counterterrorism unit involved? Why are there no federal crimes cited to justify this action? And yet Merrick Garland, oh, no, there's nothing to see here. Move along. They, they, they actually says they want their agents to be looking for any federal nexus, you know, to justify federal involvement, any potential federal violations involved, and what the motivation of the crime is. No, no, no. You don't go looking for motivation for a crime in order to try to fit it into a federal box. The local police would call you up and say, hey, man, we think we got a federal crime going on here. You don't do that. Oh, yeah. Equal protection under the law, right? Oh, I got another one. What's going on with Rittenhouse, child? And we'll get to that in just a second. But, hey, if you're enjoying the show, I'm really encouraging you to become part of this movement where we're pushing back on what the far left is saying about America and rallying around what truly makes America exceptional. We've got to spread this because we're losing generations. And, you know, I really need you to be my advertisers because I, I, I don't have a bunch of money to spend on this. So if you could just subscribe, listen, tell three friends to tell three friends, and like the Greg Knapp Experience Facebook page, that would be a great start. I sincerely appreciate you doing it. All right, let's get into the Rittenhouse thing. When we continue to this, is the rule of law broken? Because the defense, listen to this. I mean, I got to get you into the details of this. This is amazing. <laughs> the defense is talking about a mistrial because the prosecutors failed to share Probably the most important video evidence that the defense was using. Well, what do you mean if they used it, they had it? Well, the prosecution got a very high-definition video, and yet what they sent to the defense was a very low-definition video. And then the last second, the prosecution tried to use the high high version. Oh, what? wait, what? This doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, the prosecution has some excuses on this. All right, They're talking about this drone video. The defense motion says the video footage has been at the center of the case 
it was the linchpin in our case, the failure to provide the same quality footage in this case is intentional and clearly prejudices the defendant. What are they talking about? Well, Assistant District Attorney James Krause said, no, 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 we didn't do anything wrong. No, no, no. We've had a poor quality copy of this video too the entire time. But on Friday during the trial, the person who took the footage actually airdropped it, you know, via a Mac to Detective Howard on his iPhone or his Mac. I can't, it doesn't say which one. And the detective brought that copy into court and showed it to the prosecutors. And then the detective asked how they wanted to receive a copy for the defense. And uh, Miss Wisco, one of the defense attorneys, has handled the digital media for the defense, said she would prefer an email. She has an Android. So going from an iPhone to an Android somehow compressed the file, Krauss said. We didn't know this would occur. I mean, that sounds very reasonable, right? Well, the problem is, and all this came to a head, by the way, when Wisco attempted to play the video on a big screen in the courtroom, and then suddenly prosecution noticed it was low quality, and then they, they claimed to have no idea why that happened. Uh, we didn't mean to give them a different copy. Okay, who do you believe? Because here's how Wisco responded. The defense said, hold on now. I got an email from Detective Howard with a single video and a very short file name. That's important in a moment. The file was four megabytes. The big one is uh, almost four times that. She immediately transferred it to the evidentiary laptop. She said, I never once looked at it on my phone. So it was never transferred from an iPhone to an Android. It was an email that she uh, put on her evidence computer. She said, after the later realization in court that the file she had wasn't the same quality as the prosecution had, she emailed the lead prosecutor and the assistant prosecutor and asked for a copy of the exact file. Uh, the district attorney, assistant district attorney Krauss, responded first, forwarded an email that contained, again, the same video file with the same name and size, the low-quality one. She said, Simultaneously, Prosecutor Binger had been in contact with me, told me I could come pick up the file from a flash drive. I drove there. I had him make, take me inside. I confirmed that this file, what, that he said was directly provided to the state crime lab, was an 11 megabyte file, not four. I'm sorry, almost three times the size, not four times the size. So it was almost three times the size than what was emailed to me. Prosecutor Cross then interrupted and suggested, well, my Outlook software must have compressed the file when I sent it. Judge Schroeder cut him off. Let Wisco continue. She said, the file title name in this situation should have been exactly the same as the one provided to the state. In other words, when you email somebody a file, it doesn't compress it and change the name. If it compressed it, it just compressed it. This file had a different name. The file name was nowhere near similar. The one that was provided to the state crime lab had a very long convoluted title, lots of letters, lots of numbers, because it's associated with the one from a drone. It indicates a lot of different information, the location of the drone, the time, on and on. The file I originally received was not labeled the same, was not the same file amount. There is no way that Prosecutor Krauss is saying is true because the file name would not have changed if my computer was compressing anything. It was a different file that we were provided from what was provided to the state. They are completely different, end quote. Prosecutor Krauss got very upset. To, to accept, as an officer of the court, take exception to the suggestion that I'm what I'm saying is not true. Oh, shut up and sit down. Judge Schroeder said, obviously, we're going to have to take this testimony under oath. We're going to have to get somebody to explain this. And then Wisco got on the record. The receipt of the file from the crime lab had the full longer file name, not the shorter one that Krauss had claimed was on the flash drive. 
They lied. After the break, Prosecutor Krauss conceded, oh, oh, yeah, okay, there were two files. Uh, one was apparently compressed when it was sent to me by email. But, but you know, I mean, we didn't mean to do it. During the same break, the defense said, nope, time for a mistrial for this. Time for a mistrial. So do you believe that it was all just, oh, it's just a mistake. Somehow this file got compressed on my computer and I emailed that one and then I emailed it to her again. And then even when she was asking me about, oh, I didn't know. You really believe that? Is the rule of law broken? Former federal prosecutor Andy McCarthy talking about what's going on for the Rittenhouse jury. They've not been sequestered. You've got these violent protests outside. I don't know if you've been watching this. Fights are breaking out. People are screaming at each other. And these people aren't sequestered. Well, we tell them not to watch TV. We tell them not to follow anything in the media. Right. Andy McCarthy said, yeah, I'm worried about this. I've been worried about it. I think it's not just a matter of what's going on outside the courthouse which I agree is egregious and worrisome. I think we spent a lot of time covering the Derek Chauvin trial, and we got a sense, because we were at it every day, that that's the way trials go. But if you remember, the Chauvin case was during the COVID protocols, and really there weren't spectators in the courtroom. And so he's worried that spectators, protesters, media coverage is going to push the jury. So why, why is the city and the police allowing these violent things to happen at, during these protests? And why wasn't the jury sequestered? And do we want sentencing by mob rule? Because we might get it. We might get it. And here's another one. The Missouri Attorney General is suing the Springfield School District, alleging they violated the transparency law by restricting access to teacher and staff training that promoted critical race theory. See, some parents wanted to see it, and they were told no. Well, then they were told, well, we'll give you some of this stuff, but it's going to cost you thousands and thousands of dollars to get it. And so now the Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt is saying, nope, we're going to sue your butts. The lawsuit alleges the Springfield Public Schools publicly acknowledged it had been instructing teachers and staff on critical race theory. December 2020, school district reported it had required district leaders and staff to participate in a training from the Facing Racism Institute. The goal of the training, quote, introduce the components of critical race theory from educational research with applications to the district. We don't teach critical race theory. We just teach the teachers about critical race theory. And then they just use some of these things for equity. Right. You got that? Yeah. They're gaslighting you. In one training session, an instructor told teachers and staff to consult an oppression matrix. Identify where you fall on it. The matrix had privileged social groups that included white people, people with male assigned at birth, gender-conforming cis men and women, adults, and Protestants. That's just the beginning of this craziness. How about this? When they were looking at white supremacy, overt and covert, covert white supremacy includes colorblindness, Oh, so, see, so if you say, you know, I really am aiming to be colorblind where I just treat everybody the same, that's covert white supremacy. White silence, mm -hmm. claiming reverse racism, saying all lives matter, getting education funding from property taxes. Yeah, Greg, because the rich neighborhoods get more. Uh, school districts are through a whole district and they take the money from everyone in that district and then they cut it up equally. So the poor neighborhood's getting just as much as the rich neighborhood. The difference is, is in what the parents give the PTA. It's people don't know what they're... Instructors also presented staff with a figure on covert white supremacy and, and included BIPOC Halloween costumes, tokenism, Eurocentric curriculum as socially acceptable 
white supremacy. Oh, also make America great again and denial of white privilege are all examples. The SDS's chief equity and diversity officer also claimed that after four years of the Trump administration, quote, the role of social justice K-12 public education is just as important as it was during segregation, if not more. Mm-hmm. Schmidt alleged that the school superintendent said no when asked whether or not the school system will share with the public any future equity training documents. There were two Sunshine Law requests for training materials, and they claimed that on both occasions, the schools provided outrageous fee estimates totaling tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Springfield schools provided different fee estimates for the two identical Sunshine Law requests. Wait a second. Just give them a copy of what you taught. That should cost a couple bucks to make copies. What are, what are you talking about? Well, they say, well, the original request included all staff and student email communications sent over multiple years. Okay, how about we start with the training documents and the classroom assignments, and then if we need to go look at emails, then we'll talk about money. I mean, you got to be kidding me. So is the rule of law broken? You tell me. Meanwhile, political morning consult poll, morning consult poll, excuse me, 40% of survey respondents agree with this. President Biden is in good health. Only 40% agree with that. 50% disagree. That is a 30-point swing in the negative direction for Biden from October 2020. How about his mental health? 46% agree that he is mentally fit. Wow. What's wrong with the 46% of people who think that? No, come on. 48% do not think Biden is in good mental health. That's a 21-point swing since October 2020. And that really makes people worried because you know who's next? Kamala Harris. She has an approval rating of 28%. <laughs> How long do you think it's going to be before the Democrats really get nervous and figure out how to put somebody else in as vice president? Oh, no, that won't happen. Kamala Harris, she's going to be there for the entire four years. I don't know, man. I think they may come up with a way to put somebody else in as VP. Mark my words. Wall Street Journal points out, with these high gas prices, Joe Biden's answer, go after the... Oil and gas companies, of course. What? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously they're just, they're price gouging and they're profiteering and they're, it's, it's all their fault somehow. They're colluding. They're doing, we got to figure out what they're doing wrong. Yep. The president has sent a letter to the Federal Trade Commission asserting there is mounting evidence of anti-consumer behavior by oil and gas companies. And he urged the chair that if she needed his prodding, excuse me, he urged. He urged her, and then the Wall Street Journal points out as if she needed his prodding, to investigate illegal conduct and, quote, bring all of the commission's tools to bear if you uncover any wrongdoing, end quote. Okay, he's saying the largest oil and gas companies in America are generating significant profits off high energy prices. That was a quote. Well, yeah, um, they are getting profits. They've scaled back new production. You know why? Green investors and the future prediction that it's going to be harder and harder to drill for oil and to make gasoline, right? How about this? The Wall Street Journal points out, this summer, Exxon lost a board proxy campaign by a hedge fund allied with progressive investors who complained that the oil and gas giant had prioritized new production over profits. So they don't want new production, so they pressured them to stop. And now that there's less production and there's less supply, they're blaming them. And of course, all the things that Biden has done to try to decrease drilling and decrease investment in new drilling, 
not going to talk about that. Biden complained that the unexplained large gap between the price of unfinished gasoline and the average price at the pump is well above the pre-pandemic average. Yeah, you know one of the reasons why? A renewable fuel standard in the ethanol mandate that his administration is pushing to make even worse. The ethanol mandate adds about 14 cents per gallon to the cost of producing gasoline and diesel in the U.S. So you've got the Biden administration exacerbating the supply shortfall with policies that discourage and raise the cost of domestic production. And then they're blaming the energy companies. Got it? Do you know who Sarah Jong is? You may remember Sarah Jong way back in 2018 when she first joined the New York Times. People looked at her tweets and they realized some of her old ones weren't very nice, especially to white people. Here's a sample. Oh man, it's kind of sick how much joy I get out of being cruel to old white men. Another one. She compared, quote, dumbass effing white people to dogs that, quote, old white men are lemmings and that white people would, quote, go extinct soon. She used to hashtag cancel white people. She's Asian. She also tweeted this out. Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster than the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? She also claimed that whiteness resulted in being awful. All right, so that, that's the background of who this woman is. So now she's coming out showing you how brilliant she is on inflation. She tweeted out. She's now a contributor to the New York Times. All the stuff you see about inflation in the news is driven by rich people flipping their bleep because their parasitic assets aren't doing as well as they'd like. And they're scared that unemployment benefits and stimulus checks and $15 minimum wage and labor shortage is why. Just my thoughts. Uh, could not be more wrong. The assets for rich people, really for all people, uh, have been increasing faster than inflation. The rich people are doing fine. It's the middle class and the poor people that are having trouble buying milk and groceries and beef and gasoline and paying for housing. I talked to a friend of mine. He runs a bunch of apartment complexes. He's like, in the last year, we've been able to increase our rents by $500. He goes, it used to be tough for us to raise them $10, maybe maybe 15 Yeah, that's hurting people who are having trouble finding a place to live. Jong was pushed back on Twitter, and then she taunted her critics. Well, the working class's income is keeping pace with or outstripping inflation, but my capital gains aren't. Boo effing who? No, the working class's income is not keeping pace with inflation. It's down a couple percentage points. Very spooky, scary to think of the moment the poors realize inflation favors debtors, and that's what the hubbub is about, not milk prices. She is right that inflation favors debtors, which is one of the reasons that our government wants it, because maybe we can inflate our way out of our huge debt and deficit problems. However, milk prices are definitely hurting right now. This woman's insane. This is what they do. Oh, and finally, Chinese tennis player Peng Shuai, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She's 35 years old, a two-time Grand Slam champion in doubles. She has not been heard from since she shared a post online earlier this month. She accused a prominent Chinese political figure of sexual assault. Now, China doesn't really allow that. They, they certainly don't allow that against a prominent Chinese official. So the Washington Post said they were unable to confirm the post's authenticity from Ms. Peng, but it appeared to have been quickly scrubbed from Chinese social media platform Weibo and tight controls were placed on searches and commentary regarding Ms. Peng and the former vice premier Zhang Goli. 
and this is the country, by the way, that the NBA bows down to because of Nike and money. While the NBA players in the league claim that they're all about social justice. They're all about it. Until it comes to Chinese people like Ms. Peng or the Uyghur Muslims in concentration camps or the slave labor being used to build, to make many of the products that are shipped to America. China Global Television Network, state-owned news service, posted what it claimed were the contents of an email sent by Ms. Peng. In a type note, the author self-identified as Peng and stated the allegation of sexual assault was not true. I'm not missing, nor am I unsafe. I've just been resting at home. Everything is fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Right. My name's Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience. (laughs) 